You may have heard of ozone for two reasons. The ozone layer depletion, which increases the UV radiation levels on Earth, and this band that used to dance on a plane. So what is ozone treatment and how is it used in the water industry? Ozone, at its roots, is just another form of oxygen. The only difference to dioxygen is that it features three instead of two atoms of oxygen. That's fancy, sure, but it's also much less stable. If you leave it alone, an ozone molecule will always return to its dioxygen form. So if it's so unstable, how can there be a natural ozone layer in the atmosphere? Well, if you bombard dioxygen with shortwave UV, you break it down to oxygen atoms that then recombine with dioxygen to form ozone. That being said, we speak of an ozone layer, but in fact ozone only represents about 0.002% of the oxygen up there, 10 to 50 kilometers above Earth. So it's like saying that an Olympic swimming pool is an orange juice layer because your daughter dropped her orange juice in it. But okay. Next to UV radiation, there's another way to create ozone, which consists of striking dioxygen molecules with electrical discharges, and actually that's what some chemists have been doing through history. Like Martinus van Marum in 1785, who discovered ozone but without noticing, and Christian Friedrich Schönbein in 1839, who finally noticed the discovery. How did he do that? Well, while playing around with electricity and water in his laboratory, he noticed a strong smell that reminded him of what you may experience if you walk past a bolt of lightning. He then recalled his Greek lessons and the verb ozein, which means to smell, and decided to call his new discovery ozone. It would take some more years to understand that ozone was actually tree oxygen, but many hipsters at the end of the 19th century and even the beginning of the 20s praised this new gas for its fresh smell that had to have positive health effects. Beaumont in California changed his city slogan to Beaumont, zone of ozone. And naturalist Henry Henshaw wrote how he enjoyed an atmosphere with enough ozone to sustain the necessary energy to work. The thing is that Professor Schönbein himself already reported how he experienced chest pains and irritation of its mucous membranes while working on ozone. It took some decades more of testing it on frogs, birds and rabbits, but it finally appeared that ozone was in fact dangerous for human health. Why so? Well, simply because ozone is actually one of the most powerful oxidants on Earth. You wouldn't drink bleach, would you? Well, ozone's oxidation potential is about 50% higher than chlorine. Hey, Henry, still want some energy to work? Knowing this, ozone was tested in multiple applications. For instance, during the First World War, some hospitals in London tried ozone as a disinfectant for wounds. Fact, it killed the bacteria. But fact as well, it had this little drawback to also kill skin and human tissues. But there's one field of experimentation where ozone would do great, and that is, of course, water treatment. Towards the end of the 19th century, some of the rock stars of electrical engineering had developed the first ozone generators, like Nikola Tesla in the United States, that founded Tesla Ozone Co, or Werner von Siemens, a bit before in Germany, that actually built the very first ozone generator. Siemens did not stop there. He also wrote a book on the application of ozone in water, which ignited several pilot plants in Europe. In 1886, several studies had shown that ozonized air could sterilize polluted water, which led the city of Utshorn in the Netherlands to build the first ever ozone treatment plant 
for drinking water production in 1893. This demonstration plant gained a lot of attention, especially from French scientist Marius Poloto. He refined the concept to build and commission the ozone treatment plant of Nice in 1907. 114 years later, that plant, after of course several upgrades, is still running, making it the longest operating ozone plant in the world. The next decade would see about 50 ozone plants built in Europe, of which a good half in France. The First World War brutally stopped this rapid expansion, but not for the reasons you would spontaneously expect. Indeed, a lot of chemical research occurred during this conflict, leading to a better understanding and mastering of chlorine which happened to not only kill people, but also pretty well disinfect water. The next 50 years would hence be the ones of chlorine that would gain on the go the title of major public health achievement of the 20th century, while ozone treatment hardly doubled its installed base over the same period of time. But a lot would change in the 70s, starting with J.J. Rook's research on hypochlorous and hypobromous acids. He indeed proved that those reacted with organic matter to create many water disinfection byproducts. The most well-known are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Chloroform, bromodichloromethane, debromochloromethane, and bromoform. I bet that my pronunciation of number two and three is everything but perfect, so let's simply call all of those trialomethans, or even simpler, THMs. Some THMs are proven to be carcinogenic, while others are heavily suspected. So the market started looking for chlorine alternatives, especially when chemical precursors were present in the raw water. And look who's still around, exactly, ozone treatments. But with a fresh look. Indeed, we'll have to go back a bit in time to the 60s in Zurich, Switzerland. At that time, engineers at Braun, Bovary & Company were investigating the problem of line breakers in high-tension wires. They wanted to find out how to prevent the electrical discharges that occur when these wires are separated. Did they solve that problem? Honestly, I don't know, but they swiftly noticed that their experiences were creating quite a lot of ozone. Without directly realizing it, they heavily improved the corona discharge process to produce ozone, giving ozone generators their tubular shape most of them still have nowadays. This enabled better energy efficiencies, but also higher concentrations of ozone in the produced gas. In 1975, BBC launched its ozone department, swiftly followed by Vedeco in Germany in 1976, two departments that now respectively belong to Suez and Xylem. Those companies would enable to safely reach larger plant capacities, thus getting a scale effect that lowered the operating costs compared with the early ozone pioneers. In 1978, the world's largest ozone plant was built in Siplingen, Germany, next to the Lake Constance. Although this record didn't hold long, this plant is open for visits, and if you ever pass by the southwest of Germany, I'd recommend you to give it a chance, as they kept all the evolutions of the various ozone generators they used over time. The next milestone for ozone treatment happened in 1985, when the city of Los Angeles built the new largest ozone plant in the world, with a capacity of 200 kg of ozone per hour, and a brand new approach. Indeed, until then, ozone was produced, as we've seen, by breaking the dihydrogen molecules present in dry air. But that meant tapping in only 21% of the carrier gas with a lot of nitrogen just flowing around 
for not much. The Los Angeles plant changed this by using pure oxygen as a feed gas. Imagine now you're no longer just using 21% of your feed gas, but almost 100%, and as a consequence, ozone concentrations went up. While it was already solid performance from air to reach 2 to 4 weight percent of ozone, the era of pure oxygen enabled to reach 8, 10, 12, and nowadays 16, 18, or even 20 weight percent ozone concentration in some applications. Talking of applications, the new performance scale opened the door to many other uses of ozone, from sludge reduction to pulp and paper bleaching through COD removal or ozonolysis, that last process having the slightly annoying tendency to explode. Okay. Nowadays, ozone treatments are a solid number two in these infection applications, just behind chlorine, and a good solution in many other fields like wastewater reuse or removal of micropollutants. Now, that's already a lot for a 101 on ozone treatment, so I'll stop here, but stay tuned because we'll soon dive a bit deeper into the matter with Jim Loria, VP of Mazi Injectors and a board member of the International Ozone Association, that guy here. If you like the 101 format, tell me in the comments or send me a direct message. I'm also very curious and open to suggestions as per the next technologies we shall address or review, so stay tuned and see you soon. Oh, by the way, if you never smelled any ozone, you can try to open an electrical transformer door. Don't worry, you won't die from such a short exposure to ozone, but the transformer itself might be quite a hazard. Another option is to leverage your next visit to the office to smell the copy room. Quite often, if there's not sufficient ventilation, you'll find some ozone there. You'll thank me later, right? Bye. <laughs>